0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Greenwalk and Lane's newest Patreon episode. I am so happy to be joined by my friend, Steve Orlando, uh, and to get to hang out today uh, I just barely, before we started recording, uh, reading, I finished reading uh, Marauders number 12, it's new comic book day. We're recording this uh, about a week before we release it, and I was so moved. Uh, so Steve, hi, how are you?
0: I'm good, you know, just uh, the, as you said, it's the day Marauders is out and we gave life to 10,000 years of mutants, so it's a good day
1: such a uh such a beautiful long play through this series uh so many wonderful payoffs so many obscure characters so much character development uh i i know you're moving on to new things soon but uh what what was it like to put this book together and release it i i, I hope it was a joy for you
0: well i mean it was a fun challenge you know did we whether or not we hit the mark will be up to history but the the hope was to go outside the box a little bit. It's easy, you know, when we knew it was gonna focus on being a rescue book, the thought then became, okay, this is Krakoa and, and we have to push past human limitations. We have to stop doing human thinking. So certainly some of the rescues have been esoteric and and and, and big in the book, but that's kind of been by design because as mutants, you know, Krakowans have to think bigger. You know, this all, this all becomes the question uh, that you see in issues 11 and 12. Like they've been focusing on resurrection but isn't that still kind of thinking like a human? Like, can we do a little more? So, uh, you know, were we successful? Uh, we'll we'll have we'll have to go to the tape. But I am extremely proud of what we said in the book and what we got done. Um, what I've liked a little more time to show Fang beating the shit out of Brimstone Love. Yeah, probably. But you know what? We 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 th- that was always the solution. By the way, like that that was not a clip because we were wrapping at twelve. Um, It was maybe going to be more drawn out that they used the voodoo doll, but that power was just so specific uh, and disgusting. And I love a guy who wears a jacket with no shirt. Um, (laughs) So uh, it just, it was always going to be that way. So I'm really glad we got to get everything in um, and, and just bring some new, put some new stuff on the table. You know, maybe people don't go to threshold immediately, but it's always going to be there. There's always going to be this high Republic era for mutants um, that in a functional sense is 10,000 years long longer than humans have, you know, been civilized now. So there's basically an endless amount of stuff to explore, uh, at the same time, um, much like a lot of the stuff it, uh, go, that goes on uh, at Marvel and in comics, I'm proud of the fact that it's, it's based in reality, you know, like yeah, yeah. Threshold, the, the extinction event that destroys Threshold is a real extinction event in our fossil record. It's just that, you know, hypothetically, it didn't destroy a mutant society. It just <laughs> number was here two billion years ago. But it was nice to fit that in. Uh, you can actually thank my boyfriend for inspiring that by sending me an article, I think, in The New Yorker, The Atlantic, probably four years ago now. Um, but uh, I, I am extremely proud of it. Like I said, it's a different book, much like my Justice League of America was, but we're trying to do different things. Um, that, you know, we, people deserve different things and to be challenged because otherwise like these things are not cheap. Uh, so we got to give you guys something new and exciting every issue.
1: In my experience online, the major criticisms people had of this book are the same things that I love most about it. And frankly, things I think people will love most when they are able to read it kind of front to back now the deep exploration of the Shi'ar lore, the expansion of obscure characters like Somnus and Tempo, the reinterpretation of Fang and Aurora. Uh, the, the There's so much incredible stuff. The tie-in of 2099 and Genosha and Cassandra Nova and the origins of Krakoa. And I mean, I could go on and on. You really... Uh, shot big and and you accomplished a ton with this book. I think a lot of people were more prepared for a pared down kind of superhero adventure, but this was like epic space, space-time continuum sci-fi. And it's really wonderful. Well,
0: sometimes, sometimes the mandates uh, align in interesting ways. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I mean, the, a lot of these things happen organically that, you know, tw- tying to 2099 allowed it to be this story that was about past, present and future um but you know that became the plan once it became apparent that i was going to be doing a lot of 2099 work like some of these you do leave things liquid um for reasons like this even though we knew sort of the macro plan about what was going on and yeah the shiar stuff is something that i'm i'm really happy with we're actually visiting another empire in a different book i'm writing at marvel which should make things pretty obvious uh but um
1: this is the X-Men Before the Fall Mutant First Strike book that's coming out? Or is that what you're referencing? Or is it something else?
0: Well, you're just, I mean, mean—that—that in another book that I'm writing. Um, <laughs> and it just be and, and I'm happy with that too. It's the funny thing, like for 80 years of comics, we've had these alien empires and uh, it, it's kind of always wishful thinking that they're relatively benevolent, right? Like you don't get to be the Shi'ar. You don't get to be, say, the kree Skrull Alliance um without having some skeletons in your closet so i was happy to address that with uh chandra or zandra take your pick um and uh i'm excited about where we address it next which is i guess a little bit of a teaser for another book i'm writing um that's not i am am that's not first strike. let me tell you it's another ongoing book i'm writing
1: Oh, fantastic! I, I'm thrilled to see your name attached to things. I think you're an incredible man. I uh, I really look forward to everything you're putting out. And Scarlet Witch is so wonderful so far, and I know the reception has just been enormous. You have provided a voice and a consistency and a modern continuity to that character that she's been lacking for so long, and uh, and the ride has just been epic so far. I'm really I'm really loving what you're doing, Steve. It's great.
0: Thank you. We just um we just put up a. Uh we just put issue five to print, uh, today or later this week, I think it's going. Um, and I will, I will share it without context. Oh no, that's too much of a spoiler. I was like, maybe I can show a panel on the screen share. Right. And like, it won't mean much, but I will say, um, it, there's a issue five, what's becoming a motif with me, like just a moment I'm very proud of with Wanda as she goes at it with Scythia, which is not necessarily a spoiler if you read issue three. Right. Um, And then, uh, yeah, I will say um, the ending, the the last two pages of issue five are uh, sure to surprise people. Uh, Let let me put it that way, sure sure to surprise people.
1: I am so pumped for it, man, I can't can't wait. Uh, So in these Patreon episodes, we're doing deeper digs into more obscure characters. And uh, you and I tossed a few names back and forth and landed on, uh, if I quote you directly, I, something like, let's do all three Crimson Commandos. <laughs> what uh, what inspired you to reach in this direction for this particular character?
0: Well, the thing is, is that the original one, which is the main one that we talk about, um, or we will talk about, I think there's just a ton of untapped potential there. I think there's a ton of untapped potential in him and the two other mutants from World War II because... You know, even with the slight, like in the sliding timeline, the characters we know and love are getting further and further away from the actual dates they were created. Like the Cyclops definitely was not born in 19, 19- well, realistically, he was probably born in about 1948, if he was like towards his late teens in, in 64, right? Or whenever the whenever X-Men debuted. So let's say he was born in 1950, except he definitely isn't because he's still nebulously 30 years old. Um. And so with characters like the Crimson Commando and Stonewall and Super Saber, I think there's an opportunity there to, because those characters, to be frank, like aren't quite as so popular that they fall prey to the sliding timescale. So what they become are little beacons we can go to, to explore what it was like to be a mutant in World War II, because there weren't that many that, you know, at, at that point, not that they didn't exist, but there weren't that many. Um, and, and I think that that's an opportunity. You can now take, it's the same thing we did with Somnus. Someone who, um, honestly, uh, was probably from the silent generation, wasn't even a baby boomer, um, and we can talk about what it was like to be a mutant for folks from that generation, from from that age, or or someone like the Crimson Commando, who realistically was probably born based on his age in the either shortly after World War One or 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 right before, um, if he's in his thirties or forties in World War Two, right? So. I think that those characters are really interesting, uh, sort of lenses, both on the times that they're from, and and uh, in in the current times as well. And that takes a critical eye, and it takes a little more of a bit of maturity uh, to to engage with that, because of course it's easy easy for to make them how they were, right? Like they wake up in the present, and, Oh, these pinkos, commie commies. Uh, <laughs> There was some other, oh, fair, uh, fellow travelers, which is just a euphemism for gays. Like, uh, yeah, that's not ideal. But underneath that is something I think that is really interesting if you actually mine it. The disillusionment um, and and the contrast and probably the jealousy, to be quite honest, of someone who grew up as a mutant in a time when they didn't even know what that was. Uh, and if they didn't know what it was, it was persecuted. And now they see these, you know, they see these 15 year old people, mutants on the new mutants that have never don't even know, you know, it's like, it's like looking at 18 year old queer kids, you don't even realize how bad HIV was. Sure. Because it's like, you know, now you just take a blue pill, and it's all fine. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So like, I think that there's actually a lot of meat on the bones for those characters. So that goes for that goes for them. It goes for uh, the team that was introduced, I think, in X-Men, The Hidden Years that Byrne did, where they had their own little group of telepaths and things like that. The, like The promise. We're going to get to that on my show in a few months. <laughs> yeah, so I think that those things, as we get further and further from the original uh, like times that these characters debuted that have to stay in the present, so to speak, I think these characters are really interesting as beacons to talk about different time periods. Because, you know, Cyclops is definitely not a kid in the 60s anymore, but someone was you know yeah. uh, and, and so and, and so on and so forth so then that that's how we go and talk about those things and i think that's really interesting
1: so when i start these uh, i've done a number of these character focused episodes now and i try to figure out okay who's the creator what's the time period that it comes from and what's the type of story they're trying to tell these characters we just mentioned debut in uncanny x-men 215 which is march 1987 chris claremont is reinterpreting yet another story for the X-Men. It's a solo adventure for Storm where she's facing kind of a mysterious threat. And when I was, I was talking to my mom about these characters this morning, these characters, even in the eighties, this would have been the generation before the baby boomers. So this is the World War II generation. These these characters that we meet come from World War II where they were very powerful uh, uh, apparently as American agents in World War II. And now they are elderly. And they're trying to kind of find their worth or their value in a world that has very much moved on and things have changed very quickly. The three characters we see are uh, Crimson Commando who is dressed head to toe in red. That's who we're gonna be primarily focusing on today. He's got a black domino mask. His power seems to be kind of Captain America like where it keeps him very young, very fit, very long lived without a super soldier serum but no necessary uh, uh, huge powers beyond that. It's kind of like almost a really high metabolism. And then we have Super Saber who is really fast and we have Stonewall who is just a big giant strong guy. And when you know Chris Claremont and the way he introduced uh, queer characters, you know that the name Stonewall was chosen rather purposefully, I presume.
0: Uh, I mean, It's funny because there's another Stonewall in Marvel that is not him and is canonically queer. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, yes, Chris is the master of subtlety, as we know, so. <laughs> uh,
1: these three old men are living in a uh, a lodge in the middle of nowhere that is decorated with guns and animal heads and swords and cannons and medals and World War II memorabilia. There's even like a shredded Nazi flag on the wall. And this is the home of uh, Frank Bohannon, the, uh, the Crimson Commando. And this is a st- uh, a story all about uh, kind of Storm on her own. Storm and Wolverine are investigating uh, the home of uh, Sarah Gray, which has been destroyed uh uh storm gets knocked out and she wakes up in chains <laughs> in a basement uh and there's a, a woman named priscilla mason who is chained up next to her let's kind of start there what are your thoughts as we well
0: my it? first my first thoughts are that i'm laughing because the write-up you sent me d- d- has a typo and it refers to sarah gray as a blown up hoe. yes blown uh, up home home <laughs> and i was like shit i didn't who has strong opinions about Sarah gray like, <laughs> like this fucking blown out hoe uh, I was like and and then I thought it said blown out hole, which is not any better no uh, that
1: is a very unfortunate typo. I make these notes in the early morning while sipping coffee and then I tend to not prefer them them until the day of so my
0: apologies for all unfortunate typos <laughs> um I think you got some good uh yeah head uh, you have you have head to toe red too, but that was not as funny, so I'll let that pass um <laughs> the blown up ho is definitely you're gonna see that in a book someday it won't be a marvel book uh for that's for officially
1: months. the title of this episode now blown up
0: ho featuring steve or i'm just kidding well put it out there everybody <laughs> everybody already knows um so yeah no i mean i like i i i like this setup like like to be clear i think that it does go a little obvious as we'll discuss you know it goes for the low-hanging fruit as we'll discuss in the future but, as you set it up in in this initial thing, i I do think it's interesting. I think it's hilarious that 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 what they decided is that these men just live rustic, manly lives together, um, but in the woods know, on their own, <laughs> yeah, as blown up hosts. So the, <laughs> but I do i like I just think it's fascinating, you know, but the backstory is what's fascinating to me. You say, you know, that he was. I mean, again, realistically, if he was in his 30s or 40s in World War II, because he's like super, super spry, but he also still has gray hair, um, uh, like you and me, who are obviously only 30 years old. Um, I am 44. Thank you. I will own it. To both, they're both 30. That's a funny way to say 30 years old. So, um, but think about what's changed even in, in him waking up in the present of the 80s. You know, Frank Bohannon is probably someone who grew up in a home that was not electrified because that only really happened around, you know, the 1912s as per Downton Abbey, you know? Um, So you got, and I think about this, my grandmother was born in 1907. um, And uh, imagine, you know, that the, the span of what he's seen, even in the real world, never mind the Marvel universe, you've gone from, I maybe don't have indoor plumbing or electricity in my house, To even the 80s, which would seem wild. And then of course, waking up now, like in the Krakowan era, we've gone from mutants or outcasts, I can't poop inside, to (laughs) we can't die anymore. And and and, you know, like, and we teleport across the planet. So I just I I find I find his disillusionment in character for someone like that, and I find his initial aggressiveness that he shows throughout this story also in character, because even though he's playing on tropes. Um, I think you know, were I to write that or were I to evaluate that, he's also just grabbing on to the only things that he knows. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, and and this is, I mean, you'll find me say this a lot in this podcast. I think there's a ton of potential in this character. I don't know that it's necessarily been mined, but but I do think it's there. And and that's one of those things. Like if behind all that, like ma- like macho, like rah, like America, fuck yeah, that he has, I think is a lot of fear that like. The world is a speeding train and he's like he can barely catch on and right, maybe he already didn't right so he's got to grip into the things that he has even if they're his grievances uh, because these, maybe that's all he has left
1: these guys to me have created kind of a simple life for themselves just away from society they're holding on to yesteryear uh i don't know if they're a thruple. that's kind of my canon my head canon about all of this is they're just living out there on their own i don't think we see much sexuality from any of these characters directly stated. Uh, but they uh, they're very much the hey, damn, kids get off my lawn kind of grandpa's. But if it has <laughs> calves, they have this kind of interesting moral code where they will kill you unless you can get away, basically, if they deem you unworthy. Let me read. Uh, Crimson Commando gives uh, well, all three of them. Stonewall doesn't say much, frankly, but they give kind of a, a version of their origins. It starts and I'm not going to do a text
0: accent here. Did you say he's Stonewalling Storm? <laughs> Perhaps, yes. Uh, super let, me, super- let me tell you. Let me tell you. OK, hold on. Before we move on, you think that that Chris named him Stonewall um, because of Stonewall, but I will point out that there is at least a story um, over the fact that someone back in the day when during the creation of Neil Shara did not know that Thunderbird and Proudstar were Native Americans when they were referred to as Indian. Okay, and the reason Neil Shara is indian is because no one really took the time to check that when the other ones were referred to as such it actually meant native americans so (laughs) we might be giving too much credit as to the origins of that name for all you know he was sitting there cackling like peter david over the fact that the character never talks um and i would not be shocked there's nothing that would shock me
1: that's actually true. Having recently seen the Last of Us episode with the queer couple who are isolationists and survivalists in the zombie apocalypse, that's what these three are for me. They're just throw up a living in the woods. <laughs> so Super Saber says that they're explaining their kind of origins to Storm. He says, We're heroes, lady. We fought in the big deuce, World War II against the Nazis. And afterward, we did our bit against the crooks and lowlifes who'd infested our hometowns like cockroaches. We were ready to do the same to the stinking Reds. And then Crimson Commando continues but Washington wouldn't let us. Those commie simp bleed, uh, bleed heart fellow travelers were afraid of a third world war, <laughs> a nuclear war. They told us our work was done. We'd fought the good fight and earned a rest. There was no more need of our skills and talents. Maybe we should have cut loose anyway, followed our hearts to glory, but instead to our eternal shame, we did as we were told and retired. But there was a need that became apparent with every passing year. Society, the country we loved was going down the drain. No more morals, no standards, no respect for tradition sex, drugs, disease, people dressed and acting like animals. Is that what we bled and suffered and died for? No one seemed to care, no one's took a stand. And so they've killed this guy, Tommy, in the woods, who is a drug dealer, and then captured his girlfriend, Priscilla. They also captured Storm. And now they're gonna say, we're gonna let you try to run for it. Uh, if you can escape, you live, if not, you die. It's almost like uh, it's they're bored, so they need something to do. Uh, we've, we've shared some thoughts about where these characters came from, but what do you think about this speech?
0: I think it's hilarious. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, you can go two ways. You can you can say that they are, you know, they're the mutants that would join Orcus these days, uh, you know, or you can say that they're either, they're projecting and that they're, or at least that they are just having an initial overreaction to the present. I mean, I, I'm a, a hopeful person who likes to see characters reform, but, I don't know. Like, it's funny, when that came out, that probably would have seemed a little over the top for a speech. But now that is like a six out of 10 speech on the news. So I don't necessarily think it's that unrealistic, right? All anyone says when it comes to anything related to the political sphere at all now is a series of buzz phrases. So in a way, um, I actually think that it's very prescient because he basically just talks like a Fox News pundit. Finding ways to fist fuck in every single word that'll get people angry.
1: Yeah, there's very much a uh, "what happened to our world? Uh, make America great again" kind of energy to this. To these. No, characters.
0: exactly. No, you know, if it was written today, and he was on like whatever the fact channel, which is what Marvel has, like he would be on here. Like you would get George Soros, you would get, you would, you know, you would get globalists, you would get, uh, oh, well, you definitely get woke. Uh, you get woke Antifa. You know, take your pick. Like they would all be there, and it would just be like a word salad. And that, and what he has there is also a word salad. So it's kind of perfect.
1: These guys have J Jonah Jameson's podcast on blast all the time. Uh, they are friends with Graydon Creed.
0: <laughs> I'll have you know. J J J J is 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 somewhat reformed now. I was told when I tried to attribute some some conspiracy leanings to his podcast in a book. He's so, come around a little bit. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in this in this initial adventure,
1: uh, Storm is better at escaping than they think. Uh, Priscilla tries to betray her. She dies. Kind of the end. Uh, basically, the way things work is uh, Storm agrees to, like, spare their lives. And then Chris Claremont brings them back uh, a little bit later to expand the ranks of Freedom Force. Uh, this is the uh, Mystique and Destiny team. Uh, that is so fondly remembered by so many with Blob and Pyro and uh, all, all kinds of amazing characters. Uh, Spiral and Spider-Woman are part of it for a while. And these three murder grandpas have been brought back in to kind of flesh out the ranks of this team. Do you have thoughts on Freedom Force? I think it's uh, I think it's classic in 80s Claremont. It's one of my favorites.
0: No, I agree. I agree completely. I can picture what I think is a Silvestri drawing of them right now. Yeah. Um. I like them, and I think that they came from what originally started as Mutant Force, Um, and I do really like Mutant Force, but I could be wrong. It could just be two different forces. I thought, but either way, in my mind, I feel like Val Cooper bought Mutant Force and rebranded them as Freedom Force, but I could be making that up. Mutant, uh, force, mutant force mutant is the uh like peeper slither burner lifter guys yeah, don't forget lifter lifter is my favorite peeper uh,
1: Peeper's my personal favorite and i'm doing it at ep- one of these episodes on peeper soon
0: <laughs> everything i like about lifter is all in my head about what i would do with him like none of it has actually happened i'm just like i'm just projecting um or i'm uh, what is it that the kids say today i'm um Not visualizing, manifesting.
1: Manifesting. I think that was something the kids said 10 years ago.
0: (laughs) Fuck yourself, Chad. Uh, So, (laughs) but no, Freedom Force was big in the eighties. I can, yeah, I can think of that. There's actually, I can now picture it's still Silvestri. Blob like drops on Wolverine, but then there's this like side view panel of Wolverine popping his claws and Bob's like, Bob's like, and he jumps off, (laughs) Um, which is nonsense by the way. Those claws, he'd be fine, but anyway.
1: It surprised him. It wasn't Eunice the
0: Untouchable back there. (laughs) He was surprised. Yeah, no, it wasn't unpleasant. He was just surprised, I understand.
1: (laughs) So uh, Freedom Force works for the government. There's a lot of wild stuff that's going on here. They are often sent in by Valerie Cooper, who I have a lot to say on in another episode sometime, to either register or or arrest mutants who have not registered because there's a Mutant Registration Act in time. Uh, in place, or they're kind of just doing different things that the government assigns them to do. Often this puts them odd, at odds with various teams. Uh, they they fight with the X-Men, they fight with the New Mutants, they fight with X-Factor. They're, uh, they're all over the place, these guys, before the team kind of horribly disbands and then Freedom Force turns into X-Factor. Uh, Crimson Commando doesn't have a lot to do during all of this. He's one of an ensemble uh, but he is part of the big uh, fall of the mutants story, and in Uncanny X Men number two thirty-five or two twenty-five, we get a really interesting uh, battle. This is where the X Men are fi- fighting uh, all the craziness that the adversary is manifesting through his portals. Uh, we'll we'll have to uh, talk more about that another time. But there's a lot going on, and there's uh, there's a space where we see Crimson Commando. Uh, his mind is so honed, it says that he can't be perceived. So he's able to sneak past Psylocke and knock her out. And then this rift in the sky opens and Destiny is ranting about not being able to see these men uh, or see, see the future from there because there's so much going on. And there's a moment where Crimson Commando befriends a Native American man who is shot and killed by a white man. And uh, and Commando's like wrestling with guilt over how uh, Native Americans have been treated historically. It's kind of, I, I mean, it's directly stated on the page, but there seems to be a little bit of character exploration about this character coming to terms with the America he believes in versus what's out there now that he's more aware of mutants. Uh, I don't know, there, It's it's very behind the scenes. We don't get a lot of direct exploration into him, but it is interesting.
0: Uh, i mean for me that, that that would have kicked off his arc i know that he sort of backslides as we're going to talk about but that that is the exact moment that's interesting to me right like when you if you think back to talking to people who like have left the westboro baptist church or things like that there's that moment of clarity and i think that that's i mean that were i to be steering the rudder or were to i to have been uh that's where we would go because that's a shocking moment for people and it's hard. You know, which is not to say that I sympathize with like growing American fascism. I absolutely don't. But for people that are not all the way there that just have been sheltered, it's a shock to realize the things you thought were true were not true. And it can be heartbreaking, um, which is not an excuse, but it is painful. And so I think that there's a lot of meat there, as I had said at the beginning of this. And, And I think that is the meat. To me, that's what you explore with this character, because... You know, I think back to before, uh, well, we still have not passed the Employment Discrimination Act, but I think back to, talking <laughs> to some of my relatives. And at the time, I was like, well, you know, in a majority of U.S. states, you can be fired just for being queer. And the response for most of them who were who were red voters at the time uh, was, well, that's clearly un-American, but it's just not real. Like you're making it up. You know, we that, that that's clearly not legal in America. It would never be legal. But it is, you know, it still is. So I think that that is what the hint is here, you know, like how could this possibly be my country, this great country that I have just been ranting about, you know, about, uh, you know, and, and fighting for. Um, but I think that's the real meat with this character. I don't know that it's a, it's a tragedy perhaps that he becomes a cyborg and starts cutting Hope's nose off. <laughs> um, we'll get there in a minute. <laughs> because, yeah. I just wanted to say it out loud, but uh. Because the 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 story of Node and the story that is interesting that hadn't really been told, especially then, is something like that, right? Where uh, of someone coming to terms with uh, the baggage that they didn't even know they had, the weight uh, of and responsibility that they didn't even know they had, and then you get to decide if someone like Crimson Commando is full of shit or not, and if he's not full of shit, then he has to make a lot of amends, and that's interesting. And if he is full of shit, that's interesting too. That just pushes him back towards being a villain
1: this character is usually just one of the freedom force guys that shows up in whatever issue. And we're not going to go through issue by issue because mostly he just gets punched or does some punching. He do, I mean, does get a couple of moments of being like a really savage soldier, He uh, shoulder. Good Lord. Good Lord. Uh, he, savage soldier. He does a, uh, he, he shoots Richter in the head once but only grazes his temple to try to keep him alive. Uh, he holds a gun to Marvel girl's head once and threatens her, but she stops him uh there's a there's a, a moment in incredible hulk 369 of all places where he's thinking about a lifetime full of combat and like super feeling his age and is like a little overwhelmed by all the stuff freedom force is doing uh and he has to go fight the hulk but he's like yeah he he specifically thinks this is a little like woody allen fighting mike tyson and decides to hold back uh he uh he feels guilty about any time uh, civilians are put at risk Uh, There's a moment in New Mutants 89, where he gives a speech about uh, the public work that Freedom Force is doing, trying to gather evil mutants. Uh, I I mean, so there's a lot of stories that use him, but he's not really uh, used much. Uh, It's just kind of bit parts once in a while. We do find out that he's directly immune to telepathy, in uh, Avengers Death Trap the Vault when Mentallo tries to uh, read his mind. So there's a lot of like in, in interesting little bit pieces, uh, but but not a ton to explore because uh, this character doesn't get the focus ever. He does get it more than Super Saber or, uh, or Stonewall get though. Uh, any thoughts on kind of that summary of his history there?
0: Well, I think that you can see again. You can either read inconsistency, or you can read character growth into that, because it, you can't be a guy that in your cabin was talking about how you should have hunted down and killed all the all the hippies, um, and also be the guy that's decrying civilian deaths. So, I you know, again, you can go. I I, I would choose to show. Uh, uh, I would choose to view that as a growing complexity of character. Um, uh, that that's my hope. And so again, I think that there's a lot of potential there. And, but you have to explore how he went from those things. You have to explore how he went from like commies, I'm gonna kill you at the bagel shop to like (laughs) not kill you at the bagel shop.
1: Yeah, Uh, to uh, arresting teens. Now that he has purpose again, he's a little bored. He just wants his life in the mountains again.
0: But, you know, as written under, as written, uh, you know, in the first, with the subtlety of his first appearance, I have to assume regarding that Native American man that he just saw that commercial about littering and it changed his life. You know, like you just cut to him sitting in his living room watching one Native man cry and, and he's like, oh, these people, you know, uh, instead of something that's actually subtle. Um, but one way or another, I do think, um, yeah, no, I mean, like, Again, I, 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 this the story of this character is one of what could have been or what can be, you know, because resurrection is around. Um,
1: yeah, this is someone we could see in a younger body, really uh, reckoning with what it means to be in this new age with new purpose and a new new existence with all his memories intact. My introduction I mean, to this character was when I was sixteen years old. I was a fast food worker at Hardee's. And they released a line of X-Men toys along with little teeny comic books. And this is- I the- collected them. Yes, yes, I still have. i mine somewhere in a box. Uh, and Crimson Commando was part of that. He had like a red mask over his face and he was a cyborg. Uh, and they, uh, the X-Men Time Glider series was released with that, which is a, which is a nonsense crazy series.
0: Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good
1: morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yep, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now, but I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me.
0: I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy.
1: Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app?
0: Yep, I get real cash Back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow,
1: that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now.
0: Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime, right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first. Take that's code car
1: but the next story we get to is how he becomes a cyborg which is the fabian nicieza story that ran in the back of the annuals new mutants annual seven uh x factor annual six i think x-men annual 15 where the uh members of freedom force that are still around end up in uh and, and stonewall is dead by this point he died on muir island if i'm remembering do we remember how stonewall died
0: I I am actually not sure. I'm currently I, looking up his cyborg look, and it's amazing that it's just Eric Larson's Super Patriot.
1: <laughs> oh, that's actually kind of true. <laughs> I know. The, uh, the Crimson Commando uh, as the Super Patriot. Oh, fantastic. Uh, uh, let's see. I'm trying to see where Stonewall died really fast. Yeah, he died in Battle with the Reavers on Muir Island. So at this point, we've got Crimson Commando leading Blob, Avalanche, Super Saber, and Pyro, and they are sent to a mission uh, in Kuwait. This is in the middle of all the crazy Iraq stuff and the invasion of Kuwait that was happening in the news. And uh, they've been told to escort a German physicist named Reinhold Kurtzman out, but they have to fight the <laughs> Iraqi army. And uh, Commando's wearing a little red hat and he has a gun holster on his chest. He's leading the team. Uh, They have to fight a super-powered team of Iraqi uh, operatives called Desert Sword. And this is right during the Desert Storm craziness that you and I grew up in. Uh, And Commando uh, gets pretty badly wounded. His hand gets chopped off in combat. Super Saber is beheaded. Uh, It's like a pretty high body count pretty quickly. And then as uh, Commando's trying to get... Also extremely culturally sensitive yeah we'll, yeah <laughs> commando is hit with an explosion and you think he's dead avalanche kind of carries his body away and we're gonna learn he becomes a cyborg after this but
0: this is uh this is an intense story do you remember reading these backups uh back in the day i was not reading new mutants but i'm looking about i'm looking at this stuff up now as we talk i'll be honest i was not reading new mutants back in the day or um or is it new warriors
1: It's New Mutants and then uh, X-Men and X-Factor. It's kind of during the big changeover.
0: So I I, I don't remember Desert Sword. When you said it, I was getting visions of DC's uh, The Onslaught, formerly called the Jihad, which appears to be the exact same team. And also Rambo 3, uh, a movie where, you know, that was before we were not happy with those folks. So instead we have Rambo doing a whole movie dedicated to the brave fighters of the Mujahideen.
1: Uh, cultural sensitivity. Anytime we have another culture being represented by white men, there are problems. And when we look back, it does not always look great historically. And Iraq is wildly misrepresented in a bajillion comic books uh, from characters like the Arabian Night and uh, going on from there. It's uh, there's, a, there's a lot of complications that we'll have to explore in an episode sometime but uh crimson commando just getting blown up and super saber getting beheaded like they're basically all gone now but commando's the only one that survives because he becomes a cyborg
0: yeah i mean even the way that they killed get killed is laughably is just like a laughably bad look uh uh but if it you know anyway that's all i'll say it could have been thought out a little better
1: uh, uh in uh, X-Men Annual number 2, this is also Nicieza, it's 1993, we learn Bohannon survived, but he has his legs, his right arm, and his right eye all now uh, are all tech. And they have various kinds of powers, and he changes his name to just Commando for a while, which is already hilarious, because that just means you're not wearing underwear. And uh, he
0: starts working with well, Avalanche for Project White a... week. He's also not wearing underwear. He's also not wearing underwear. He's a cyborg. He probably doesn't need underwear.
1: <laughs> Who
0: knows what other tech he has?
1: <laughs> uh they get sent to the island of Jonathan Chambers, the character Empyrean. Uh Toads formed a new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, and they want to fight him, and there's a battle. And then he's an X-Men Time Gliders, and then he's an X Factor 102, uh, where they fight Polaris for a minute and fight random. Uh, and he's uh, he's kind of a, a tougher player now. It seems they've really upped his game with his ability to fire crazy weapons and do things. Uh, again, I'm summing up a lot quickly, but uh, what are your thoughts on Commando as a cyborg?
0: Um, look, I mean, like I I understand that that uh, the intentions at the time, but I do think it makes the character less unique. Uh, I mean, like like it's one of those things where I mean everybody everybody had. Cr- k-e-w-l cool armor in the 90s or a cyborg enhancement <laughs> captain america had a full suit of armor in the 90s right so like um i understand um the motivation uh t- to lightly quote Gigi uh from drag race i a- and appropriate that quote i understand the motivation but i don't share the motivation <laughs> uh you know i i I feel like it's p- pushing him in that direction lo- and even losing the Crimson, right? Like, even the name goes a little more generic. Um, and also, like, then he's he's no longer a character wearing red named the Crimson Commando, screaming about the Reds, which I think is very funny. Um, the,
1: the complexity of Claremont's stories in the 80s, and then it gets replaced by the big guns, the huge expansion of the X Men line in the early 90s. And there's so many, this is something we're dealing with. Nowadays, of course, there's so many characters to choose from that it's just hard to find exploration on any of them, almost unless you're one of the big ten or whatever. Uh, but he uh, he becomes a, a bigger threat in some ways, but loses kind of what made him special to me a little.
0: Yeah, bit. no, and that's the thing. Like, I again, I get it uh, that that was a big push in the '90s, but at the same time, like, I don't know. I find characters work best as a variation of their core, like. Look at Frank Castle. Frank Castle has been Robo Punisher. He's been Franken Punisher. He's been Space Punisher. He's also been Ghost Punisher, where he only fights ghosts and has glowing necroplasm guns. And you know what? He always goes back to a variation of Frank Castle, a guy who uh, just brutally kills people. And uh, Whatever, that's a complicated character for obvious reasons in other senses. But the point remains, they've tried every single thing on him to dress him up and change it up. Um, And it always goes back to a guy who wears black and white and kills people. It's Rambo.
1: It's Rambo redone. Always going back to Rambo.
0: (laughs) I mean, the the funny thing is, I actually I I love what Jason is doing right now in the main Punisher run. So I do hope that sticks. But the thing is, is that even if that does stick, the core of who he is is still the same uh and and it doesn't stray too far from what people like about him he's still a guy in black and white that, that can unleash on people not a and guy god, who- and this is a total side note but Thorin
1: Grombeck's, uh thorn Thor, punisher war journals recently god they're so fucking good they're yeah. wonderful but anyway go ahead
0: she's amazing, she's amazing. so like yeah, I mean that—that's kind of my thought on the Robo Commando era. I understand why it happened, but it's not necessarily what I want out of the character. I, I mean, and even from a basic sense, I'm just anti people with robot faces or a full head mask because they can't emote, right? And like, from a design sense, I feel like you're 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 writing with one hand behind your back. I mean, the with the notable exception of Spider Man, but that's because his eyes break the laws of physics and he emotes anyway.
1: He's a little uh, super
0: patriot, but also
1: a little bit Deathstroke the Terminator. <laughs> So a lot going on with this guy. Well, he's
0: a lot like Deathstroke, but Deathstroke is never a cyborg for long if he is one, right? Like he has right. enhancements. He's actually a lot like Deathstroke, um, but I there's no reason why he shouldn't be the X-Men's Deathstroke, you know, like going, going forward. It's just waiting for the right person.
1: He's gone for years and then he gets kind of what is his most prominent appearance perhaps, but also a very uncomfortable one you referenced earlier, which is Uncanny X-Men 539. Uh, do you want to talk about this one or do you want me to spearhead it?
0: You can spearhead it. I've already, spo- I've already spoiled the money
1: shot. So <laughs> this is, uh, this is Kieran Gillen. It is years after uh, M Day at this point, and we find out that uh, Crimson Commando has lost all of his mutant powers, and now his tech is keeping him alive. So he's basically like a hundred and fifty year old man at this point. When you add in the t- sliding timescale, and he's just miserable. But he hears about Hope Summers, who is the mutant Messiah, and he has his military guys because he has military guys now uh capture her hoping that she can heal him like jesus uh, does to the blind man kind of thing uh but she won't help and so he's like i'll just take what i need from you then and he shoots her in the legs and he cuts off her nose and he fucking stabs her in the eyes uh but she's already copied wolverine's healing power because hope can copy powers and uh the wolverine arrives and like slashes crimson commando to pieces uh, this is a crazy turn for this guy and it's basically the last time we see him, uh, he's not been seen on Krakoa uh, what, what are your thoughts on
0: this story? well bless its heart <laughs> um, it seems a little shock Jack uh, you know um, I don't know, like it's hard to talk objectively about a story where like bro- a broadly speaking teenager gets brutally tortured and dismembered um, but I'll say this, it does seem to either show that he is completely strayed from any type of moral core or that he's completely, you know, been subsumed by the, the, the cyborg side of his, uh, in, inhuman side of his life. You know, like for at, at, for at minimum, if you look at the story as part of a unified character, he has had a complete mental break and then that's something to explore, you know? Because again, once again, we've gone from, uh, we've gone from, we got to kill the hippies no civilian should be injured. To I'm going to maim and torture a teenager. So um, even
1: though he killed a drug dealer and like a teenage girl in their first appearance, but yeah, it's he's right back. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. So you know, I, I to me, it all happened. Everything happened, and this is something to interrogate as to how he got there, and it's going to take a fucking lot. Um, but you know what I mean. Gene Gray got forgiven uh, for technically not killing, but but ki- technically not killing billions of people, but assuming the angst of killing billions of people. And uh, we forgave Hell Jordan for killing thousands of people because a bug told him to do it. So <laughs> I think that Crimson Commando could also come back from this uh, if if the time was right.
1: Commando's like desperation and savagery come out here, and I love, as you know, I love when someone dusts off an old villain and brings him back, particularly when they tell a profound story with him. Uh, you with Brimstone Love is an amazing example of this. But uh, Gillen does him justice in that they advance the story a little bit. They could have brought in some new guy, but I like that they bring in the old character. And that was from 2011. We've never seen him since then. This guy is due for a uh, revival a little bit.
0: Well, you know, I, I my list is long, but clearly he's on it because we're here talking about him. <laughs> he's, uh, he's
1: interesting. I would, uh, well, we'll talk about what we would do with this character at the end. We have, uh, we have, then, the X-Men line goes crazy in the year 2000. Uh, Claremont is back. They're trying all these new things with all these books, and there's all these... Uh, there was a long time where the books we had ran for a long time. They relaunched everything in the early 90s, and it basically ran that way for 10 years with the expanded line. And then they started, uh, I don't know, cutting it down a little bit, and then they, like, get expanded again, and things are relaunched, and they try new teams... Which is very much the era we're in now there's short strokes like uh five issues 12 issues uh new creative team every every year on new things we don't see the same team on the same book for a long time anymore which is unfortunate i think i miss some of that uh sometimes with the rare exception of you know like dan slot on spider-man or uh there's we, we get those types of things uh so this is uh in x-men volume 2 106 in the year 2000 Uh, This is back when Chris Claremont was really trying to make the Neo happen. Uh, Do you want to tell us briefly who the Neo are?
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, listen, I think the Neo are a great idea. Again, like uh, that wasn't really, that wasn't really explored as far as it could. But yeah, I mean, it's a, there, it's a much like was, you know, it's not that different from Arako now that I think if you really think about it, like the, the window dressing is different. But the point is the same, that they are uh, different clans of mutants that have withdrawn from society years and years ago, uh, maybe centuries ago, I forget, but a long time ago, uh, and have been forming their own culture only to finally reveal themselves for reasons that I'm going to be quite honest with you. I don't remember what brings them out, but I do think the core idea that they've just been like living in their own ecosystems, like social ecosystems and forming these clans is really fascinating. So You'll hear me say that about the Neo, you'll hear me say that about the proto-mutants. Uh, you know, so so um I think that's a great idea. And I thought, that, you know, I, I I wish that it had been maybe even given a a, a grander stage to a, explore even more. Either, you know, either introduce fewer, I guess, is what I wish and explore them better. Or if you're gonna go big, go really big. Because I think it's great, because I think it's a great idea.
1: We will end up with some Neo-Vocus stuff on this channel at some point. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the nice part
1: about the Patreon stuff is I get to jump all over the place. On the original or on, on my main channel, of course, we're doing a book at a time, of course. Uh, but yeah, it's it's fun to jump all over the universe in this way. Uh, so this is a very brief story. Mystique has formed a new brotherhood of Evil Mutants. She's basically hosting tryouts. They're going to go try to kill Robert Kelly again and some other titles. Uh, one of the tryouts that we see in this book is uh, referred to in the databases as Crimson Commando 2, although she's never named in the issue specifically. It's a Black woman uh, who is alongside a new Super Saber and uh, C- Commando calls Super Saber her companion and they're training with Blob and Toad and Avalanche and it's later when Claremont gives their names. He's like, yeah, yeah, that's the new Crimson Commando. Uh, but this character is literally never seen again, even though Mystique's Brotherhood is. Uh, any thoughts on this kind of random character who's literally never even named on panel?
0: Yeah, I mean, as you might imagine, like we're mostly here to talk about Frank. I ign- uh, like I get that these folks exist but uh there's not much there as you said now there could have been you know because another thing that being a guy who also really loves dc that i'm a fan of his legacy characters um so there could have been you know the the second or third crimson commandos could have really been something because you have retconned golden age characters in crimson commando and and stonewall and super saver so to me there there is an opportunity there but this quick appearance, as you, as you noted, it's, it's, it's a flyby, you know? The
1: final Crimson Commando, who again is uh, Crimson Commando 3, is in 2012. It's X-Men volume three, numbers 40 and 41. And again, this is a wild time where the X-Men were kind of almost ancillary sometimes. Uh, they weren't getting a lot of love and attention frankly until Krakoa started. Uh, it's uh, there, There's a new Crimson Commando uh, on a new Freedom Force, and his teammates are Haste, Brawl, Shift, and Mass, and we're not going to talk about these guys, but the new Crimson Commando is a cyborg with a whole bunch of offensive weaponry and uh, Project Wide Awake sends the new team in to fight the X-Men. And that's basically all that happens. But this one is named on panel. Uh, Seth Pack's a fun writer. He does some interesting things. But it's, yeah, it's one more team, one more version of Freedom Force, which I think is the first one after, there was a Freedom Force during the uh, the initiative, uh, when they had like a, a superhero team in every state at post-Civil War, there was a Freedom Force there. And then I oh, think yeah. is the last time the name's been used. Uh, both for the Crimson Commando and for Freedom Force. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this series?
0: Uh, well, as you said, it's a, it, was, it was a weird time, um, and and I was already in comics. Uh, I, I was, you might have been actually in 2012. So, like, it's hard to separate the realities of why X Men were backburned from the stories. <laughs> it's complicated um, uh, they they were uh, owned by
1: fox and the movie rights were separating things out and marvel was putting initiative into other things
0: and there was a lot of
1: some good stories and some not so great ones and it went on for a long time that's a quick summary <laughs> uh
0: so so again it's like i i wonder what could have been if if they were allowed to go bigger like the things were quiet uh at that time for in and, and for reasons that are outside of the narrative uh but I think the the, the proof, uh, you know, versus longevity is that like these characters haven't appeared a ton either. I don't know, like, so here's the thing, like on a basic level, I think you need to, as you saw, like these original characters were, even three of them, we only really know much about Crimson Commando. So introducing the third version with this relatively large team, um, yeah, again, like it, 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 even this new version is kind of relegated to where he, where the second one was, and where Crimson Commando often was, which is like a cool guy in the background, uh, and and or someone who just feels a little transient. So one more, uh, one more guy not, for the
1: superheroes to punch.
0: <laughs> well, and so like again, like to me, and my question with these, and this is not meant as like shade towards the creators. Like any number of things could have gone on in the background, but I just, you know, like it, if this is the case in a in a in a blue sky world why not build on the one that that we have that is already not so dissimilar um but you know at the same time um i love a good team uh that has a unified naming scheme so i I can't really hate on this version uh for that reason i love i mean the same way that i love everybody in mutant force having an er name um (laughs) especially especially because they both have an er name over both being like verb based like so it's lifter and it's peeper and off the top of my head burner and scorcher and slith- there's-, there's no scorcher but
1: there is a slither
0: but that's the thing slither doesn't actually work because to slith is not what it fucking is right
1: <laughs> I love these guys this crimson commando the third one is definitely more of like an iron man looking guy he's he almost looks like Goldbug, if you guys know that character. He's got, like, golden silver armor with, like, a reactor at the center. His eyes glow red. He's got a couple machine guns. And this is, like, a very military operative style team. Uh, it's fine. Uh, again, it's one more, one more guy for the, uh, the X-Men to punch. I'm fine never seeing Crimson Commando 2 or 3 again, unless we get a story where maybe Crimson Commando 1 hunts them down and says, fuck you, you get to die because you use my name.
0: <laughs> you know, Scorcher. I was thinking of Shocker, the mutant force version of Shocker. Oh yeah, yeah, Shocker. Mm-hmm. That's my bad. Listen, <laughs> um, Scorcher Scorcher's the old uh, Scorcher's
1: the old Spider-Man villain from uh, from Untold Tales. He's he's interesting.
0: I mean, him hunting down the other Crimson Commandos is a fun story in and of itself. It's the same thing that happened when Doctor Fate came back in the in the early 2000s. But I'm okay with it. He should just be murdering everybody who's is Crimson or Commando, on principle.
1: The interesting thing with mutants in this era, there are some really interesting stories that we could see done with Crimson Commando. When we see talented writers get their hands on characters that aren't given a lot of attention, even if they've been around for decades, we get to see them explored and then we care about them uh zeb wells using nanny and the orphan maker is a wild idea steve orlando
0: using tempo is a is a wild idea but well i appreciate the credit but you got to give jerry some credit on that because he also he, he he kicked tempo off before me but please give me the credit too
1: well you're the one that you're the one that explored her powers but yes jerry jerry's wonderful uh and we we get to see when characters are treated capably in the right hands we get to love them And there's not a lot about Crimson Commando, Frank Bohannon, that can't be done better by other characters. Wolverine's already the guy that's trying to reckon with, uh, you know, living at a time outside of his own. Captain America's got that going for him. Uh, Of the three, of Stonewall Super Saber and Crimson Commando, and this isn't saying much, he has the most interesting power set because the other's a strong guy and the other's a speedster, and we see that done over and over. So the uh, the super soldier who's immune to telepathy. There's some interesting things to do there, but it's um, you almost wonder if it uh, if it could be done by better by other characters. So I think the way to love this character is by taking the things that make him complicated and make him really reckon with the world he grew up in versus the world he's in now, uh, which is an interesting thing to consider. In a in an island that's now populated by a lot of mutants that have been alive for a really long time, uh, what are your thoughts on the potential of Crimson Commando in the Krakoa era?
0: Well, here's the thing. Um, there, there's a lot of it, you know, like because as because on paper everything you said is true. Um, But on paper, also everything you said is true about Gray Crow, and 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 he's had an amazing renaissance in the Krakowan era. So the challenge is not just okay. Well, he can. He does. Wolverine does everything he does. Captain America does everything he does. Um, The challenge is finding where he fits in, and it might not necessarily be in 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 an all the time shooting guns role, like with someone with like Birdie, for example. God, I love Bertie. I did a
1: whole uh, episode with Terry Bless
0: on Bertie. I love her. But so, so that's the challenge because because uh, if you find that in and you find what is unique about them, it's always going to come from character, like every like not that not that every superpower has been used. There's always been superpowers out there, but like a lot of characters have the same powers. So then you just got to dig into what is unique. And to me, that the angle for him is coming down from being radicalized uh, in a way that he thought was righteous but was not you know, for the majority of his life. yeah, Uh, And and that is something we haven't necessarily seen in in a lot of characters there. I mean, we have characters that took the amnesty, but I think it would be a stretch to say they show genuine regret in many cases. Um, And so I think there is something there that you haven't seen as much.
1: We also, uh, we have not really seen what his activities in World War II were. We haven't seen that Dust Bowl origin that he had growing up in the Great Depression. Uh, and what I'm saying is not that this character doesn't have value, but that it would take the right writer to give him that value. I think there's some really interesting things that could be explored if he's given the page space to do it. In uh, he's a uh, he is it, Stonewall appeals to me in some in some ways too the the silent guy. I think Super Saber's annoying, <laughs> but I think Stonewall as the big silent guy who uh, who doesn't have a lot to say. Uh, there's something interesting about that character to me too. I, I am open to caring about these characters, but outside of their very first appearance, they've kind of felt ancillary to me, except when that time he chopped Pope's nose off, which is <laughs> not my favorite story, but it's I a like
0: Weird it. thing to say as a parent, but I respect it, so. <laughs> uh... God, uh,
1: we showed my kids uh, the movie Chicago last night, uh, you, I assume you've seen the musical Chicago at some point. I have. I and have. my 11 year old uh, is so big hearted. Uh, they enjoyed the film and we talk all about the music and the history, but there's the, the in the, in the pop six squish song, there's the woman who says, uh, uh-uh, who is the Hungarian woman that can't speak English. And she says, I'm not guilty. And then later in the show, she gets hanged and it doesn't show it. Right. I, I'm careful with what I show my children. But my 11 year old came into my room at two in the morning, waking me up like, dad, I had a nightmare about this woman who got killed because she didn't do anything. And I'm really sad. And like my big hearted child, uh, they would not hear me talk about the nose chop off story in the same same vein. (laughs) Um, uh, As we are uh, coming to a conclusion on our thoughts on the Crimson Commando, uh, anything else you'd like to share?
0: Oh, I just think that like the, the key of this whole series, this character included is that like, you know, people always ask why I like deep cuts and things like that. It's not that I specifically love shocking people with polls. It's that I think that they're in, in these libraries of thousands and thousands of characters, uh, without exaggeration. Um, there's a ton of really, really great characters out there. And so, um, I don't have anything necessarily specifically other thoughts on Crimson Commando, because we've kind of covered what I would do and why I think he's interesting. But what I do think is to be found in characters like him is that joy of discovery, right? Like to find out that there's this like, you know, just to find this diamond in the rough. But the thing is, is that diamond in the rough implies that there's rough. And I think most characters can have a fascinating angle. It's just on us to do the work and figure out what it is. So it's all diamonds, baby. Uh with the possible exception of uh I, well that's a lie. With I was gonna say with the possible exception of ice cream, the mead can turn into ice cream, but he <laughs> appears on the panel in one of my books in a very useful role within the next six months. So ice cream is I,
1: showing up in one of your books?
0: Yes. It was well, here's the thing. Yeah, and in context, you'll see why we went with him instead of the girl who poops ice cream. Um uh, but uh, but I'm sure we'll find something for her too.
1: Uh, I did I did a, a whole one of these episodes on Obnoxio the Clown with Marcus Anasso, the writer of By the Horns. And he proposed, let's do an episode on ice cream. And I'm like, oh, we can't. We can do Obnoxio the Clown and talk about ice cream. Uh, he will be thrilled. He may be ice cream's only fan. <laughs> well, now there's going to be more. <laughs> Fantastic, my friend. Uh, Steve, it's so great to see you. I know you have a million things going on You're writing and you've got a lot going on in your life. It is uh, such an honor to hang out with you this evening. Uh yeah, we're going to put this episode out a week from today on the Patreon. We'll release it on the main channel a couple of months later. Uh, where can people find you online? And uh, what would you like to plug uh, for mid, or excuse me, for early April uh, or late March
0: 2023? Listen, uh, it, it's real easy. Buy uh, Before the Fall of Mutant First Strike. Uh, and, and if you haven't checked out Scarlet Witch, uh, I'll humbly say it's my best Marvel work and one of my one of my best works ever. So you know, like, give it a look. And Sarah Pekeli and Matt Wilson are doing incredible work on the interiors. Russell Dowderman is doing incredible work in the covers and the interiors to issue five.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: so uh, g- get after it. You know, like Marvel has been supporting me with amazing co creators, um, and I'm doing my damnedest to 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 make good in that by delivering. I mean, I, we all set out to do our best work all the time. Um, and 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 you know that's what we all want to do. Scarlet Witch is singing. The creative team is singing, and we're really working in sync. So it's worth checking out if you have not if you have not seen it yet.
1: Yeah, I uh, I've read a lot of your stuff at this point, and I know how much you put into your work. Uh, you're, uh, you're 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 top notch, man. I it's it's really an honor to know you. Uh, where can people find you online, Steve? Oh, that's
0: a good point. I'm at Twitter. Uh, I'm on Twitter at the Steve Orlando, and I'm on Instagram at the Steve Orlando. So very easy. And easy enough. I keep
1: my own social media private because I've got kiddos, but uh and Land, you can follow and PP like podcast on Twitter, Greymalkin underscore land on Instagram. The show is increasing in popularity, which is a wonderful thing to see uh slowly over time. And uh I used to be booked out two or three months, now I'm booked out four or five. Uh so we've got content uh stretched into August already, which is insane. And I've got so much exciting stuff coming up. I'm always planning for what's coming way out, but also uh prepping for whatever the next recording is at the same time. So uh I'm uh, I'm keeping my my uh, my eyes on the prize for the for the the big uh, big picture uh right after this uh the the uh, episode we're going to be putting out on the main channel is a review of the angel story in kazar number 3 by jerry Siegel. Uh, This is going to be with the incredible Lenore Zan, who I've never met, and I'm so excited to meet. She's she's just lovely. Uh, The next Patreon episode after this uh, will be on the character Professor Power, who's one of my uh, childhood favorites, uh, with Professor Power's creator, J.M. DeMatteis, is going to be with me for that one. So uh, stay tuned. We've got some incredible things coming up uh, in April and May
0: and uh, beyond. Uh, Steve, anything else you want to plug before we wrap up? Oh man, My, well, actually, if you haven't been reading X Men Green, it's available on Marvel Unlimited, uh, and that is wrapping up in a really big way that I'm super excited for. And X Men Green has been a surprise for me; it's a joy to write every week. And like, and for folks who maybe think that Krakoa is a, a little less traditional than they're hoping for, like I actually think X Men Green is a very traditional book. Uh, it's it's mutant villains going around and being mutant villains, and the X Men trying to catch them. So. Uh, so it's worth checking out. Emilio Laizo is doing beautiful, beautiful work. And, uh, we're going to be wrapping up in a very blockbuster final arc, uh, that kicks off very soon. So keep an eye out for that.
1: We, uh, we give X-Men Green some love in the trial of Sauron, which is being released tomorrow as we record this. So it'll be out as we release this. Uh, so awesome. we talk about that era for, uh, for Carl Laikos. Uh, Well, hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Steve, thank you for your valuable time this evening. It's great to see you, my friend. Uh, We will see you all back here next time on Gray Malkin Lane.